Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Today's episode is an awesome one. I had the chance to jump on the phone with Dr. Kathy Pillow-Price. She's an executive coach. She is a phenomenal person who really understands leadership and management. If you manage people or if you will ever manage people or if you've ever been managed before, you have to listen to this episode. It's a good one and I think you'll enjoy it. As always, send me an email, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com to let me know what you thought about the show and I will catch you next week. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz podcast. I am so, so, so excited to be bringing to you a good friend of mine and someone who is just really worth listening to and has such a phenomenal perspective on leadership. Her name is Dr. Kathy Pillow-Price, and she is joining us today. She's a former teacher, former professor, and has actually been in higher education for 15 years. Uh, she used to be an executive over at Arkansas Children's Hospital, which if you're not from the uh, Arkansas area, it's a phenomenal children's hospital in our area. And now she does a lot of executive co- uh, c- consulting and is, as I mentioned, really just an expert in leadership and leadership development. And I'm really excited to get her perspective today. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us on the episode. Well, thanks for the invite. This is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Now, Kathy, uh, for people who who don't know who you are, give us like the you know the the pitch for Kathy Pillow Price. You know, what are you doing now? Uh, give us just the the overview. Well, um, I am a fifth generation Arkansan, so um, lived here all my life with my family. Um, started out, you know, fresh out of high school, thinking that I was going to go teach school for 30 years and retire. And that's not the path I've taken, although I did teach for a while, then later went into teacher education and then started directing teacher education programs. And along the way, got a doctorate in leadership and decided about six years ago that I would put that really into play in um, working on issues for children and families at Arkansas Children's Hospital. So I took an executive director's position there. And then now I work for an international consulting firm. And um, I also do executive coaching and consulting and passionate about developing um, new and emerging leaders. Well, I, I'm, I, I love to hear all that. And like I said, I'm really excited you're on the episode. And I love what you, what I would love to do is just dive right in. It, it sounds like you are in a position today, and you even just mentioned you're you're working at this international consulting firm, which is a little bit of an intimidating thing to hear. And in, in that, I'm just excited I have you for the next hour. <laughs> but to go from teaching to working at a hospital to now being at this firm you're currently at, that's that's there's some pretty interesting jumps there, and I'm I'd be curious to hear. Uh, especially if you can go back to making those big jumps. I mean, what does it feel like really in your mind to jump from one industry to another industry? Well, you're, you're right. There it was some interesting jumps and there were some very big 
learning curves. But when I am mentoring or coaching new leaders, one of the things that I talk about is some of the shifts that I've made in my careers and the importance of um, developing those relationships and, and finding those people that can help guide you through some of the steps that you're going to need to take. And then I also make a very big distinguishing, <laughs> big distinguishment between leadership and management. And every time I've made a shift, even if it was from one leading position to another position of leadership, um, I've had to learn the management side of things for the first six months to a year before I could ever really set about being the leader. Hmm. Okay. So let's, let's, let's pause there. Let's break that down a little bit. What do you mean? What are you talking about? What, what's, what's, what's going on there? Well, even though I identify myself as a leader and I may have the formal title, um, when you go into a new position, you don't know the people, you don't know the processes, and your job is to come in there and listen, 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 and learn, learn, learn. And then you can kind of start understanding the people, the processes, and the management and the organizational side of things. And then you can start to get that vision for where you can take the organization or the team or the people. And so I think the vision is the leadership side of things. Where can we go? What can we do? What can we accomplish? And the management is the day-to-day, and you've got to know that. And you've got to get the people to trust you before you can lead them into the leadership side of things. Um, and part of that is, you know, building those relationships. And then the other part is not forcing them into change too fast before right. they're ready for it right. or pushing them too hard in the beginning because you don't have that trust basis to push them yet. Right. I mean, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm just like, golly, there's so many great nuggets of wisdom in what you just said. I, I think where I want to go first is, you know, what you're talking about, first of all, it makes total sense. And I think it's, I know that it's right. It's the right answer. And even hearing you talk about, you know, you want to listen first, you don't want to force people into change too quickly. You know, I always loved an expression, <laughs> an expression I heard years ago, which was, uh, make sure you're part of the family before you call the baby ugly. So <laughs> before, you know, you just came into this family, before you start, you know, pointing out all these things, you know, make sure you're part of the family. Make sure that people have gotten to know you and have gotten to trust you a little bit. But what I, what I run into sometimes is especially new managers who they perceive they've been brought in to bring about change or maybe it's a division of a company that hasn't been profitable, or maybe it's the company itself. So like maybe it's even like we could even go the nonprofit route of maybe a board selected a new executive director. And now this person feels like, you know, it's on me to flip this organization around. And so when you start to talk about listening and being part of the family and making sure people trust you, it feels like sometimes there's pushback there of people who say, you know, well, I just don't have time for that. You know, I'm here to, I'm here to fix things. I'm here to make these things happen. W what do you think about that? 
Well, you know, from from studying change processes, I know that people can only handle so much at one time. And so if you are going to go in and make changes immediately, you have a board that has said, hey, this is why we're bringing you in. Um, you've got to prioritize what is the one thing that we can do immediately that will institute some change and we can measure it and monitor it with, without putting on too many changes. Um, for example, I'm coaching a new state leader right now um, that I'm not going to identify, but she's come in in her first three months and she is trying to overhaul how they bill and <laughs> how they staff. And I mean, there's, I mean, her list is really long and I'm trying to get her to step back and say, you know, it's not that these things don't need to be done, but they don't all have to be done the mm. first 90 days. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love. And you're killing folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it about people, though? I mean, you know, people are pretty, uh, people can take a lot. I mean, I think you and I both can, either, either for ourselves or people we know, can think of someone who, you know, they, they will go through sometimes even years of a toxic company and they'll put up with it. And so, so, you know, talking about people's resiliency, why, I mean, where is the, what's the metric for people's conditioning to change and how much they can take and, and what's going on there? Well, um, they can take a lot. And, um, I think that's where your, as a leader, your people skills come into play is being able to stay in communication, to understand, you know, are, how, how's the mood in the room? And then how are people in their individual offices and are they doing okay with the changes? And being very candid in your conversations about and transparent about why certain changes need to happen, um, the steps you think need to be taken, and asking them what support you can give in order for that to happen. Um, and I, you know, people are resilient, but they will also tell you when you're asking too much. Hmm. Well, you know, if, I guess it's a metric of how willing you are to listen, right? Because I I know I've been in jobs before, and especially in education, it feels like, and, I'm, and we all, everyone who's been a, like a public school teacher knows the stereotype here of, you know, the public education system will have like these massive, the superintendent will come in, there'll be these massive changes, these new initiatives. And all the teachers are kind of like, ah, all right. <laughs> and then like three years go by and that superintendent moves on and a new one comes in. And now there is a whole new slew of, of um, again, changes and initiatives to deal with. And I think what is challenging sometimes, and I love what you said, because I know you really mean it authentically, 
really asking your people what they think of the changes and is it on point? Because uh, sometimes what happens in these work cultures is you'll have someone who says, and let me know if you need anything or let me know what you think, but they don't, you know, it's, it's like the line that goes at the end of the email, right? It's like the, um, you know, thanks for everything you do, but, but there's no real authentic um, invitation there to really understand how these changes will play out. Does that make sense? Yes. It, I mean, it does. Now I will point out because I've, I've been a public school teacher and, um, and I'm now on my local school board. So I'm still involved in education um, in my community and, and in our state that some of the things that gets pushed down to teachers and, and it is very frustrating are unfunded mandates <laughs> <laughs> and the result of legislation and rules. And part of the real frustration there is you, you have elected officials telling you what to do with children and what to do in your classroom um, that don't have the experience or right. the education that you have right. to, to know what's right. And so what I hope is outside of education, you know, when, when you're the leader that you have the expertise and the education to lead your teams mm -hmm. and that knowledge goes a long, long way, um, you know, to, to starting to build those relationships. And if you come in with leadership knowledge, but not necessarily knowledge of um, the organization or, you know, what you're going to lead, then it's even more critical that you listen. I love that. And it makes because, me think. Because sorry, the people ahead. there are the experts. Right. Well, and it, it's, <laughs> it's an ego check, right? Because you, when you come in, it takes, I mean, we, we can both think of these two kinds of people. There's the person who comes in and their philosophy is it's, it's a, it's a humble approach and it's, I'm here to listen. I really want to figure out how this company works, how this, what the culture is. And then you have people who, Absolutely. Say, yeah, I'm here to fix it. I'm here to fix it. And you need to do what I say and what you've been doing hasn't been working and what I will do will work. And then you find people who are frustrated and they think, you know, you're an outsider. You're a, um, you know, you don't, you don't fit here. I think about Steve jobs always talked about the guy who came from Pepsi to run Apple when he was out of Apple and how that it was like oil and water. It just, you know, Hey, what you do in Pepsi doesn't, will not work here in the tech world. Um, and it was ended up being a really chaotic relationship, but, but I really like what you're saying. This is such a, I love the distinction here cause I've never thought of it this way, but it makes me think of an education. For example, there was a local, uh, or excuse me, there was a state near mine near Arkansas where, the person who became in charge of education for the state had never been a teacher, had never been in education in any way before, had never stepped foot in a classroom. And there was quite a bit of, of just pushback from the teachers who were saying, you know, how can you, how can you tell us what we need to be doing in our classrooms and how we need to be teaching when you've never, you've never been in the classroom. And, and I love what you've said, cause it's, you're exactly right. There's a, that, that absolutely happens in the workplace too, where someone comes in and it's, Let's do, do, do instead of, okay, let's actually, I'm here to listen first. And I really mean that. Right. And I, you know, I think it's just, you know, for lack of better wording, some basic needs that people have to be heard and to be respected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we, 
when we don't have that experience or education um, and they do and we don't listen to them, they don't feel respected. Right. And, and then it's, it's hard to trust someone that doesn't respect you. Right. Right. Well, and I think, I think what the important connection to make here is we're not just talking about these aren't just good feelings. You know, it's not like, oh, I just want people to, it's not like I just want people to like me who work for me. It's, it's, no, no, it's no, no, understanding no. the connection that when there's trust, an organization moves much quicker and people are much more engaged and the results are that much higher. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard for people to, to make that connection, I feel like. I think it's like you talk about trust or you talk about you know, validation or valuing someone or respecting someone. And, you know, occasionally you get the manager who's like, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And you're like, yikes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I am all about performance and, and achieving it and measuring it. But if, if you don't go the route of, of, of building the relationships, valuing people's input, um, you know, getting your trust meter up, mm-hmm. um, then what happens is performance does dive and mm-hmm. you don't get input. You don't get buy-in. You don't get engagement. You don't get what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's in a competitive market, you, you've, you know, people are looking to be engaged. They don't just want to go put in their time. They, they, you know, they would like for their work to matter or a lot of people want their work to matter. And they want, you know, they want to come home with that feeling of I contributed mm-hmm. and, we've got to give them ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it feels like even people who maybe they're not fully bought in on the mission of the organization will still stay engaged if they feel like their individual work, like you said, is valued. Like I contributed something, I did something that mattered for the company. Um, and when they don't have that, it's, it's, or they can't see that connection, I think it's hard for people to stay engaged. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I'm working on a, a, a paper right now and part of it is about some changes to a professional development and training system that, that we're needing to make. And that was one of our premises is that when you need to change something, it's got to be looked at from all avenues of the organization and you know, including IT, including, you know, it's got to, it's got to include everyone and you have to communicate why their part's important. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which going back to and the man, like I said, go ahead. Yeah. Even if they, if, even if they're not there to buy into the mission, um, when you start to communicate why their piece is important, that can lead them to buy into the mission. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting how 
it, it goes exactly back to your comment on understanding how the business operates and understanding like the management side of the business. And it makes me think of, um, I really admired, uh, JB Hunt had an initiative where they really pushed their, their driver managers to get out into the lot and actually, uh, spend time with the drivers, not just to build trust, but, but a lot of times drivers will be working on their own trucks. And so you'd have driver managers who wouldn't, they wouldn't know anything about the inside of a truck. And I can't even like, I can't even quote parts because I don't know anything about the inside of a truck either. But you know, you'd have a driver who's looking at the, for example, the engine and something doesn't work. And the driver manager would be saying, you know, Hey, I don't care what the problem is. Just get out there and make it happen. And the driver's like, I, I, I can't, I physically can't make it happen because the truck, this is what's broken on the truck. And as soon as the driver manager started spending time with that driver and understanding, you know, here's what's going on and here's how the truck operates. And, and there's plenty of driver managers who are you know, well-versed in trucking. But once driver managers started doing this, not only did the trust factor go up, but also it led to much higher engaged uh, drivers in the company. And actually, J.B. Hunt, I'm pretty sure it's the leader in the, the driver industry has massive turnover, but JB Hunt is the leader in retention of uh, those drivers, and I'm pretty sure it's not even close. Right. Yeah, they they're definitely a, a company <clears throat> with a lot of success and um, retention and investing in their employees and and you know teaching, um, like you said, the driver managers how to how to manage better, how to lead better, um, through, and you know, through seeking to understand. And I love that example, you know, two, two things that I use frequently in conversations with employees is help me understand mm -hmm. and how can I help you? And I know that you mean that when you say, how can I help you? <laughs> Cause again, not everyone genuinely means that but I, I i know that you do um well i've i've been on the side where it's really frustrating and i can't get my <laughs> job done because uh, uh, <laughs> you know it, it's sitting at a level above me without approval uh -huh. or and 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 a lot of times it's it you know it, it's something simple and it won't take a lot of time and you know, if that'll help someone have a better day and, you know, that, you know, you know, because of conversations we've had that when I am in an office and supervising a team that my day starts stopping by everybody's office mm -hmm. for one to five minutes yeah. and I stop and how are you today? Um, if there's something going on with them personally that I know about. You know, their mom's been sick or, um, you know, their their child is away at camp. I, you know, I ask the, the personal questions um, just for a second. You know, you know, how's your mom doing today? Or um, did you hear from from Mallory last night? You know, how's she enjoying camp? Uh, we catch up. And then my, you know, my next question to everybody always is, is there anything I can do to help you today? 90% of the time, the answer is, no, I'm good, but it's because I check in every day. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and then there are a few times, yes, I really need that check request approved this morning. Um, I know it's in your inbox. And I'll say, okay, I'm, you know, I'll be at my office in about 15 minutes and I will get on that first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I make a note. And, you know, that takes maybe 30 minutes in my morning, but it gets everybody else's day. They've had a few minutes with me if they really do need something. And I go accomplish the fast task that I can accomplish. And we all get started off on a better foot. Hmm. Well, and I, it, it's, I love that story because it, it just helps illustrate how, how easy it is to, or maybe easy is not the right word. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's how much opportunity leaders have in building trust with their team you know, to only take out just a few minutes to stop by someone's, someone's office and check on them. That, that really doesn't take much, but the, the output from that, the trust that you build with that person, I mean, that's, that's playing the long game. That's understanding what that is doing positively for your culture long-term. Yes. And, you know, Now, one of my values is investing in growth and development and, you know, growth is, is, is the value. And, um, so when I hire or inherit (laughs) an, an employee, um, you know, I, I, I always communicate to them that, you know, that's part of my job is to help them to grow and that, um, in order to do that, I'm going to need to get to know them. And so, you know, that's just one of the ways that I do to, to, to uh, touch base with them, you know, daily. And then we also, um, we have a, a weekly meeting, uh, 30 minutes tops. We, we stick to that time limit, but every Monday morning we start off uh, with a meeting where the whole team's at the table And we go around and we answer three questions. And that's what I'm working on this week. Who I might need to touch base with in this room or I might need assistance from because that gets you some eye to eye time to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to need your help. And that kind of gives everybody else a little bit of room to plan of, oh, I'm going to need to assist so and so instead of last minute emergencies. And then the third thing I ask them to do is to share anything personal that they want to share that might affect us professionally. Hmm. You know, I'm getting married on Friday, so I'm I'm out on Friday. And that allows us to celebrate with them because I believe in celebrating, Mm -hmm. whether it's personal or professional. You need to be happy for people that are happy. And, and, you know, and, and some people share every week, you know, <laughs> Hey, my, my, my child's on the honor row. Yay. You, you know, <laughs> and, and some people hardly ever share, but because I share and others do, um, we've been able to support team members going through some really rough things because they felt safe enough with us to share that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, you're talking, which by the way, even that small bit you just express says a lot about, I love your management philosophy. I love your leadership style. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever read death by meetings. I think it's Seth Godin, maybe, or, Yes. you know, <laughs> so I, I, I love what you said, 30 minute meeting. Um, and I also, I really like, it feels like being on your team. It feels like it would be working with real people. And sometimes, you know, we have, we get so stuck behind either in our cubicle or wherever we are, we, we get stuck behind title or position or, you know, I am the VP and I do this. And it sounds like, it sounds like in your meetings, there's a lot of trust being built and there's a lot of authenticity, you know, where it's like, we're real people. <laughs> Let's talk about real things. Well, and there is a quote from a book, um, it's called Branded. And I think the author's Sinclair, but I'm not real sure on that. I'd have to look back. But he talks in that in that quote about wanting to live an authentic life and tell an honest story. And, you know, I just thought that is an incredible mission statement for a person or an individual. Mm-hmm. To be able to look back and say, you know, I lived an authentic life. I told an honest story. And, um, you know, that, that drives me is, is being authentic with people and transparent with people. Um, let me, let me, let me stop you for a second. Why is that so difficult for people? Mm, I think for some of us, it's because we've had bad experiences. And so we're really reluctant uh, to put our whole self out there again because we don't want to get hurt or shamed or fired or, <laughs> you know, we don't want those bad experiences. Yeah. Okay. It, it makes me think of, uh, there was a guy I was coaching and he said, uh, he's really apprehensive of leadership in general because he came into his new job being very trusting and almost naive of his boss and his boss ended up being extremely manipulative and very open about it. Mm-hmm. And the boss actually pulled him aside and said, Hey, if you're going to make it in this game, you, you have to play the game. You have to be willing to, you know, stab someone in the back every now. It was just a very toxic, just really yeah. disappointing uh, perspective on, and this is in the corporate world. And so here, here am I meeting with this guy and he's, he's just, he just feels burned. He just feels, you know, how am I supposed to, oh, and and also the thing for him was he had said, you know, I'm not going to do that. Eventually he got let go from that team. And so as I'm talking with him, he's, he's, like you said, he's hurt. He's feeling like, well, I can't, there's something wrong with me because now my career, because you know, it's, it's hard to stick to your values and in your character when it costs you something, you know, when you actually like, you don't get the promotion because you didn't, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, sometimes it feels like it's hard to say, well, you know, you got to sleep better at night. And it's like, yeah, but I can't make my mortgage. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Well, and that, that's, you know, that balance. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I love that you brought up values because, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of leadership styles that you can define and that have been defined. And, you know, one is the the servant leader. And, you know, if I define my leadership style, I'm a values-based leader. 
And it's, you know, I'm in my 50s. And it's taken me a long time to define them and to capture them and to say, this is who I am. But it's also taken me a while to develop the strength to say, and I'm not violating this. Hmm. But at the same point, I have family, I have a mortgage, you know, and so that's when, you know, you really have to examine um, when you make career moves, you know, am I hiring into a culture in a place where I believe I can make a difference and where I fit and where their values are in align with mine or that I can be a part of their greater mission. How did you get to that point where you, you have clarity around your values? Because sometimes, especially, and maybe here in a minute, we can talk about millennials, but I, I talk to a lot of young, uh, I say young, I mean, maybe in their, their mid to late twenties and they. Yeah, I didn't I, have it then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and it's, it's, um, it feels like I run into a lot of people who are so deeply ambitious. They want to make a difference. They want to do good and they, they are motivated to, you know, do something positive with their energy and their talents and whatever. But, but when we talk about like the, the values conversation, it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I value. I don't know, you know, and, and it's, it's almost like, um, it's kind of like the self-awareness conversation, like where you, you know enough about yourself to know that there's something about you that's not pinging either with the person you're working with, or maybe like even with, you know, if you're married, like with your spouse. And so you know enough to know, okay, something's not fully right here, but I, and you know, ultimately it's a blind spot. It's like, I can't, I can't see it. I don't really know what it is. So what's been your journey for figuring that out and for getting clarity on this is who I am and this is what I value and this is what I'm great at and this is what I suck at. I mean, (laughs) you know, other than like just the answer of, you know, wait till you're in your fifties, you know, what, what, what's the process there? I think it's, um, continuing, you know, to continue to value growth and development, you, you've got to be putting yourselves in positions to learn. Um, you know, and I know that the, the cliche saying out there is leaders are readers. Um, but I've done a lot of, of reading the self-awareness uh, exercises, personality and temperament studies, strength finders, those types of things to continue to, you know, learn about myself and to be able to um, describe myself. Um, I've also worked with um, a couple of different coaches and mentors and, um, you know, gotten to the place where I can ask for feedback and, and receive honest feedback and then have a discussion about, well, if I change this, what do you think that would look like? Um, we've talked so much about trust today. And a part of, you know, becoming really good at 
solidifying your values and, and sticking to that is having a couple of key mentors that, you know, you trust that will be honest with you in giving you feedback and guidance and um, that know you well enough that, you know, they can say, you know, they can ask those hard questions of, is this the right move for you? Are you sure this is the decision you want to make? Is this the, you know, right way to approach this? And, you know, I'm really lucky that I have some great people that I can, can call and, and, you know, when I do have questions and say, let me bounce this off of you. Hmm. Now, how would you encourage maybe a young person who doesn't have a mentor, but is, is looking for a mentor? I mean, not even a young person. I say young person just because I run into a lot of young entrepreneurs who are looking for a mentor, but just anybody, someone who does not have a mentor, you know, what's, what's the process there? I mean, how do you, I mean, you probably can't put out like a Craigslist ad for it. I mean, how do you, how do you find a mentor? Um, you know, some, 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 some ways is through current relationships. I mean, you know, examining who around you is doing some of the things that you want to do and, or has been successful at that and perhaps has, um, some time. Um, and then, you know, you know, I have a, a 27 year old son, uh, who is working in the nonprofit world. Um, and one of the ways that he found some of his mentors was by doing research on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, people post their whole resume and CV there. Uh-huh. And he found people that were doing the jobs that he ultimately wants to do and just connected with them. Yeah. And said, you know, do you have a few minutes for some questions? And that's the other thing with, with, um, you know, with a mentor that you're not a personal friend with, um, if you're going to approach another professional, be organized, be punctual, mm-hmm. be very respectful of their time. Mm-hmm. If you say, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Don't take 30, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, they're on a schedule, but, you know, a lot of people are willing to give you 15 minutes or 30 minutes if, if you are, are respectful and, and you're um, organized with what you want. I think you're totally right. And especially on, I love your approach too. And, and uh, you know, what's so funny about LinkedIn and, and maybe you get the same thing, but I'm constantly getting messenger inboxes uh, or messages in my inbox from, from people trying to sell me. And it's a totally cold person. It's in the sense of, I don't know them. I've never met them. And they, you know, Hey Blake, how'd you get into your prevent? You know, what are you doing now? Hey, I'd love to tell you about blank. And it's, it's kind of obnoxious really. And I, I don't, right. I don't hold it against them in the sense of I, it's like, well, you know, they're trying to make a living. So I get it. It's fine. But after a while, you're also kind of like, man, I would love an authentic message <laughs> to come at some point in my inbox. And it really feels like your son is so smart in that he's really taken this approach that is very clever and it's, it's authentically driven. And I'm sure he's gotten great feedback of people who they're probably just relieved to get a message that's, that's 
again, it's very authentic and it's like, oh, this person really just wants to learn a couple things about the business rather than sell me something. Right. And, you know, you, you said you would love to get an authentic message. So one of the best or one of the most impactful leadership books that I've, I've personally read is a book called Leadership Prayers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm faith-based, and so it was just very meaningful to me. And the person that wrote it is Dr. Richard Krigbaum, and he's on LinkedIn. And I sent him a message and just told him what his book meant to me mm. and how it had helped me to become a better leader. And, I mean, within 30 minutes, he had messaged me back <laughs> and said, I, you know, I loved receiving your message. You know, when you write something, you really hope that it will be a benefit to someone else uh -huh. and getting your positive affirmation, you know, just means the world to me. I'm currently writing a second book. Would you be interested in looking at it before I publish? Wow. And so that started a a, a relationship that's lasted a couple of years now where he now knows me as a professional. I know him as a professional and in it's, it's just been a neat relationship based on, you know, I admired his book and his work. Hmm. Well, and I think what I love about your story too, and there's, there's a lot of great lessons to pull out of it. First of all, I think, I think that, and this is my own bias. I, I don't tell people enough what I really think of them in terms of what they mean to me, what they've done for me. And I've, what I've tried to do in the last six months is when I feel strongly about someone and their impact on my life, I'm trying to practice not just gratitude, but actually telling them. And it's funny how, as I start to do that with people, how they'll return with, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I've been thinking this about you. And I guess it's kind of this really encouraging, you know, set of messages that ends up happening. But but also it feels like it's, it's, it gets me motivated because it's like, okay, yeah, I'm building genuine connections with people. And the second thing that I love about your story is that when you translate that to the world of networking, it, I think it gives a good perspective on how do you get the most out of networking with people? Uh, because there's people out there who are incredibly frustrated with, with networking as a, as a thing and it's because their interactions are very superficial. And here you've created this really great relationship out of what started as just really just a thank you. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm going to take off on something here. So, you know, in, in the leadership world and everything, everybody wants to be a good networker. And I actually don't like that word mm. and don't use it myself. So if you looked on, on my LinkedIn page and you're reading the description about me, you will find that I describe myself as a connector because I, like I think making authentic connections is a lot more important than building a network of superficial um, interactions. That's powerful. I can go in and I can go in and work a room. I can shake hands and smile and, and chat with you and walk out and you not know anything about me and me not know anything about you. Or I can go in and we can have some authentic dialogue 
and make some connections of where we are um, really passionate about something that um, others may not be. And I'm going to remember that for years. And I'm going to know who to call when I'm working on that again. Hmm. I love that. I think I'm going to steal that. (laughs) You know, I, I love your perspective on calling it connecting as opposed to networking. Because uh, that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, as we're developing our deep networks with people, it's not about you know, the next person you shook hands with, but what, you know, where are those authentic conversations? Right. Hmm. I, I think I wanna talk a little bit, going a little bit back on what some of we had mentioned before. I wanna talk a little bit about millennials. Uh, please help us with millennials. <laughs> What's your perspective? <laughs> what do you think? Um, it's so funny. And I obviously, you know, I have my soap as a millennial. I have my soapbox on this topic. But what I notice often with leaders is the word millennial gets mentioned and it's, oh my God, yeah, millennials are so hard to manage. They're so tough. They're so, you know, this and that. You know, since you're obviously well-versed in the leadership world, you know, what are your thoughts on millennials? What's your approach? What do you think? Well, you know, I love when, when I approach people, I like to be strength-based. And so I am looking for um, how, whether it's a millennial or anyone else, how they can contribute to the team or the organization. You know, what do they bring? What are their strengths? And so for some of us that are not millennials or that may be parenting millennials, you know, like me, um, we've got to get out of the mode of there's one way to do things and there's one way to schedule things uh, and, and look at do we want their physical presence or do we want productivity and creativity and contribution? Because um, you know, my experience with millennials is they want to be a part of something. They want to, a lot of them are very passionate about issues and, and uh, approaches and, you know, and they want to be a part, but they also want to um, live life, you know, and so they, they may want a different work schedule than the 40 hour week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be willing to get their contributions to examining, you know, can we, what, what can we um, negotiate that gets their contributions brought into the organization and makes them feel valued and important while letting them um, live their life maybe differently than, than we've structured ours professionally. Mm-hmm. Well, I like, I, I like, you know, as a millennial, I like your, your approach. And I think, I think it's less about bargaining. I know you're not saying this, but I think it's less about like bargaining with millennial in the sense of, you know, how can I, what can I, what can I pay you off with? You know, how, how do I get you as into this as I can? And I think it's more of understanding that the way the management game is played today is so different 
from maybe 10 mm-hmm. years ago, even, or 20 years ago. There's a really great book that I've been reading called It's the Manager, and it's from Gallup. And it's just, it came out maybe a few months ago, and it's just phenomenal. But it talks about how just the, the work environment has changed so much today. And it's, it's what's hard for a leader is to, going back to what we first talked about, to change their management style, especially if they've been managing for maybe two or three decades, where before it was, I'm your boss, do what I say. Now, what's productive for people is, hey, I'm your coach, or I'm here to serve you, or hey, how can I help you today, or what can I do for you today, or how can I make your job easier? And it's harder sometimes for people to make that switch, and it's easier to just blame millennials instead. (laughs) And I I think part of the disconnect is, you know, you're pointing out all the things that are true about millennials and that, you know, there's there's an absolutely, there's a passion component to it. There's a, I want to live my life uh, the way I want to live it type of components. Um, That's very, it has, it's very different from work culture a decade ago. And so uh, I think the challenge is on leaders to be willing, just like they would innovate a product, just like they would innovate uh, their industry. It's important to internally, I think, innovate your own management style to really get engagement from people. And it's not like preventing temper tantrums or, you know, just, just trying to buy them off. It's, it's, I love what you said. I mean, we're, we, we need to care more about the product or the productivity of someone than we do their process or how they go about it. Yeah. Well, and you know, Jack Welch said, you know, that good leaders go up, down and around to be able to reach people. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's being open to having those conversations mm-hmm. about how to, how to bring them in and, and where they fit. And then, you know, the coaching, you know, that is a, a huge component of my, my leadership style. Um, there's a really great book, The Coaching Habit, that, um, you know, if, if you're not comfortable with the, the coach approach as a leader, it's a good basic book to get you started Mm. with some, some coaching questions that, you know, opens up conversation. And that's to me what a good coach does Mm. is, you know, they, they keep the space open for um, conversations and questions and, um, you know, and being, um, for employees, whether it's a millennial or anyone else, being, knowing that it's okay for them to fail. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that that's not going to cost them their job or their promotion. Um, you know, that, that it's okay. Um, when I was in the classroom as a, a public school teacher, fourth grade teacher, I had a brilliant ideal uh, for having a pet day in my classroom. Where I was, and now granted, I was 22 years old, uh-huh. and I thought, you know, it's going to be so great to have these kids bring their cats and dogs to school. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, you're, you're smarter than me because you're already you already <laughs> know where this is going. And I went to my principal. I did know that if I was going to do anything unusual, I should let leadership know about it. So I went to my principal with my idea, and I was so excited and so passionate about it. And he kind of chuckled and he looked at me and he said, you know what? 
knock yourself out. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so I did it. And I had a cat on top of my file cabinet all day. I had a chow dog that was growling at everybody that walked by him. It was awful. It was (laughs) terrible. And so then afterwards, I I walked down to my principal's office and I said, why did you let me do that? And he said, did you learn something? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's why I let you do it. Mm. And we unpacked that. And, you know, I've had people when I told that story after I got into higher ed as a as a teacher educator, this, I bet you never had a pet day again. I said, you know, actually I did, but they brought pictures and videos instead of the actual pet. And then I had a dog that was very well socialized that I brought. So we had one dog and a lot of pictures and pets, and I learned how to improve the lesson. Why do you think I couldn't have learned that had he not given me the option to fail? Why do you think it's hard for bosses to give people the space? Because I think there's some managers who would be like, yes, I do that. I I know there are bosses out there who are very apprehensive about what you're saying. And either they feel like allowing the opportunity to fail will kill their business or maybe their business is already kind of rocky to begin with. Yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, some of this is risk management too. You know, if, if they've got an idea that is just absolutely going to tank your business, (laughs) you've got to have more conversation. Right. But, you know, I'm thinking of another example where, um, my employee was planning an event. Uh, it was an anniversary celebration for uh, an organization that had been in existence for 50 years. And she was planning this big event and she had a theme. And there were a couple of things that, you know, just as a planner in my head, I could see oh, that's probably not going to work too good. And I said some things to her and, um, you know, but she was adamant because she just had this picture in her mind. Well, I, I let her because, you know, and I thought back to the lesson I learned with the pet day. You know, at some point, if you are going to be in a trust relationship, that includes I've got to trust your ideals. And so, it didn't go as well. And then we unpacked that and what we would do differently next time and, and what we learned. And it's become a big joke, um, between, you know, between us that we, we still laugh about like my principal and I laughed about the pet day, but you know, I understand if it's, it's huge, you may have to step in with some more conversation, but you know, with when you give parenting advice, you'll often say you've got to pick your battle. And there are some things where you may have more experience and say, you know, I don't think this is going to work, but sometimes it does. Hmm. Cause there have been instances where I've had an employee that's come up with an idea and I've thought, whoo, that's not where I'd go. <laughs> and it was beautiful hmm. and it worked out better. 
And then I was glad that I wasn't the one that made that decision because I wouldn't have called it the same way. Wow. I, I love everything you just said. I mean, that was just phenomenal. There, there's a couple of stories that I, it makes me think of. Um, I think, you know, Chuck Hyde, he's the V-Stitch chair. Yeah. Arkansas now used to be my boss. I loved his philosophy on balancing risk management with empowering your people. And he always told the story of crystal balls and rubber balls. And like you're juggling all these things for your business. And some of the things you're juggling, some of them are crystal balls. Some of them are rubber balls. And so in letting your employees, making it okay for them to fail, you know, you're not going to hand off a crystal ball where if they drop it, no. you know, it shatters and you, you know, your business goes under, but the rubber balls you'll hand over and, and, and rubber doesn't necessarily mean insignificant. I mean, it's still, you know, you're not just giving them things just so they can feel good about themselves, but it's just stuff that, you know what, if that does fall, I mean, it's going to hurt, but it's not, it's not going to break the business. You know, it's, it's more valuable right. for them to learn the lesson than to, um, you know, just never make any mistakes. And then the second thing I think about is when I was in education, there was a superintendent who I really admire today. And uh, I think he's maybe, I, I don't want to say his title because I can't, I can't remember it exactly. So I don't want to butcher it. But I was meeting with him back when I was working on my master's and he had talked about this teacher who, and you know, test scores are so important in today's education world. Mm -hmm. He was talking about a teacher who for every year, her test scores had always gone up for her students. And he had just finished having a conversation with her where her test scores, for whatever reason that year, they had just plummeted, like double digits plummeted. And, and here I am from my school where test scores are everything, where I've seen teachers fired over their inability to achieve test scores. Now they weren't, you know, it wasn't said that, but that's basically what happened. And so you know, in my world, that's, it's kind of a death sentence to your, your job. And so I'm listening to him tell the story and he said, and I, I asked, you know, well, what did you say to her? And I, and he said, you know, it's okay. Next year it'll be up again. It'll be fine. And it just, his management style always struck me. I've never forgotten that moment of how different his philosophy was than maybe my principles where he was like, yeah, you know what? It didn't pan out this year, but she'll learn, she'll adapt and it'll get better. And creating that space, I really, I really admired that. And I trusted him, even though I didn't work for him. Mm hmm. Well, and, you know, one of the things is just being able to ask people what they've learned and how would you do this differently? If, if you know, if, if, we go, if we have to do this again or if we go back, what would you do different? That constant learning, I'm, you know, I'm just. I'm a teacher by heart, and so I'm always looking for the lessons. Hmm. Hmm. Something else I'd like to ask you about, I've, I've heard you mention a few times, especially since we're talking about management, I've heard you talk about how important it is to hire tough, and I'd love to get your mm -hmm. philosophy on that. What do you mean by that? What's your hiring process look like? Because because right now we're, we're talking about sort of like the, the perfect employee in terms of someone who's teachable, who's manageable, who, you know, sometimes you could be a phenomenal boss and yet it's, you have someone who either because of their maturity or their emotional intelligence or their self-awareness or it, they, it, it's just not a good fit. And so what do you mean by hiring tough? What's your philosophy there? What do you think? Well, and you know, there, there's a book, Monday morning leadership and uh, it, it, it is um, a phenomenal book on 
what I call leadership essentials, you know, just some basic things about being a good leader. And that is one of the chapters. It's, it's about hiring tough. And that, along with some other experiences, uh, really taught me how to hire to get the best fit for our team and to take my time hiring, not to rush in to get a spot filled, but to make sure that when I fill a spot, I'm filling it with someone that is a good fit for the team, is a good fit for the organization, that um, has similar values, believes in the mission and the culture that we're, you know, that fits in that culture that we're trying to create. And so part of the process is bringing others into the hiring decision. And when I'm in charge of a team or when I'm the director or executive director, um, I don't make any hires by myself. I bring in the people that are going to work with this person. And I've had a lot of people say, oh, you bring them in like for the last interview. And I'm, no, I bring them in as we are selecting candidates to interview. They go through the entire process with me. Um, and I don't give myself a veto vote or a, you know, my vote is more important than yours because they've got to be a part of the entire team. We all have an equal voice and an equal say in the process. Uh, another thing that we do that's recommended by Monday Morning Leadership, everyone that is hired always receives at least three interviews. And um, I do a lot of interviews, <clears throat> first interviews by phone and or by some sort of video conference, Skype or FaceTime or, or something like that. Um, those are really quick, 15 to 30 minutes, but you can tell a lot about a candidate in those, that short of time. And then um, the rest of the interviews are face-to-face, -face, the other two. Um, and then I'm constantly looking for questions that tell me um, about their ability and about their character. And not asking the usual questions where they already have a canned answer, um, you know, but something that, that tells me a little bit more about them. Um, for example, one of my favorite questions is, tell me about something you do not want to do. And some people can answer that very quickly. It's a scary question. And some people... <laughs> Some people really want to qualify it. They'll say, what do you mean? And I say, well, tell me about something you do not want to do. And they'll say, on the job? And I kind of shrug. I won't define it for them. Hmm. Because nine times out of ten, they've never heard that question before. But it is amazing what people will tell you when you ask them a question. You know, and, and so, you know, I'm always looking for these questions that get them to think and that are leading them outside. And then the other thing I do is I will follow up questions with, tell me more about that. Can you expand on that? What else would you like to tell me about that? 
you know, so I'm not just getting those scripted planned answers. I'm getting them to dig. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're peeling back the layers to see who they really are. Yes. Yes. To work past the script and see, okay, who are you? Who are you really? Yes. Another one of my favorite questions is asking people because, you know, values, relationships, trust, all of that's very important to me as a leader in in building a cohesive team is I love to ask them, tell me about someone that you have helped and what they would say about you if I called them. (laughs) Because everybody's going to put three references down and everybody's three references they put down are people that are probably going to say good things if I call them. But, you know, I've asked that question before in an interview. Tell me about someone you have helped and what would they say? And I've had so many people say, well, you, you mean professionally? And I'd say professionally, personally, you know, just tell me about someone you've helped. And I've had some people tell me, I really can't think of anyone. And that really tells me a lot about their character. Wow. It makes me think of, uh, I was talking to someone a few months ago who was saying he's 37 and 0 in hiring decisions, meaning he's, he's hired 37 people and he's never had to fire one of them. And I was really taken aback by the number. And I said, well, how, you know, what's your secret? And he says, man, I just focus on character. I mean, I just really drill mm-hmm. into who is this person really? Because the mm-hmm. job responsibilities, I mean, their resume, I mean, it seems like they can do it. So in that short time I have them in the interview, I'm trying to get as much clarity as possible on who is this person really? Because that's what will make them successful on the job, you know, not their ability to, you know, fill out a spreadsheet or talk to customers or, you know, what have you, whatever responsibilities there are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very proud of the fact the the last position that I was in the, the last three years, we had zero turnover. Wow. In my office. And, um, you know, and I, it's because our team fit so well together. And, yeah. um, Go ahead. and, you know, that, that spirit of, being a team was strong and uh, you know, so character and team fit. And then I also, so this is not a leadership book, but something that I learned a lot about leadership from, and it's a book called team of rivals. And I love to read about presidential history and look at the leadership aspects of different past presidents. And this one's about Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, when he was elected president and selected his cabinet members, he picked cabinet members that had actually ran against him. And when I first read that, I went back and read it again because I thought, man, I like to think I'm a good leader and that I like to get opposing viewpoints and that I'm good with feedback. But to hire someone that ran against me said awful things about me 
but I hired them because I knew they were the right person for the job and that they really cared about the country and getting the country. I thought, man, that took some guts and it worked. And I'm not advocating that, but, (laughs) you know, one thing that it taught me is to, as we are hiring, to look at what do we still need? You know, we're a good team. What do we need to be a great team? What skills are we lacking? So, you know, I do hire for character and team fit, but I'm also looking for that person that brings something that's just a little bit different Mm. that will challenge us to be better. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of uh, there was one organization where it was a team of five, and four of them were extremely extroverted and connected really well. And the fifth one was much more introverted and didn't connect as well. And for budgetary reasons, they had to let someone go. And asking the owner who they let go, he said, Well, I let go, you know, the one who was more introverted because she was not. Um, just didn't socialize like everyone else did. And it just always struck me, his decision, because I thought, you know, that maybe that was the person who was different enough that you really needed that person on the team. You know, needed that just, perspective. Yeah, you know, needed a different perspective and someone who, you know, just approached the work environment different than the other four. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's worth thinking about just because someone is – different or doesn't have a natural fit in terms of personality, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes. Yes. And, you know, being, whether it's humble enough or honest enough to admit where you need some different skills is, um, is when you start to become better at hiring. Absolutely. I love that. Well, Kathy, we are out of time. I, I am just, I'm going to pour over this episode because I, 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 you have such an awesome perspective on leadership. And I know that our listeners are going to really enjoy learning from you and hearing your philosophy of management. And um, I, I just feel sharper listening to you. I, I feel like I feel like I have a pretty good handle on leadership. But I, as I was listening to you, I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, that's really good. I need to, <laughs> I need to apply that. That's really good." Uh, w- would you be willing for people to be able to reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, they can, as we've already mentioned, look me up on look me up on LinkedIn, or um, my email address is kpillowprice. It's all one word: kpillowprice at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, for our listeners, thanks so much for listening. Kathy, thank you for being on the show. Uh, for the it's listeners, an honor. Absolutely. For the listeners, if uh, you have any feedback or you want to talk about what you thought about the episode, feel free to email me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. As always, appreciate the support. Uh, Kathy, thank you again. And that's all we got. We'll see you later.